0: Uh, This morning we're reading from Genesis chapter 39. If you picked up a Bible on the way in, you'll find it on page 33. Um, It's also going to come up on the screen behind us. And we're reading from verse 1 to the end of the chapter. So Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he had, Joseph found favour in the eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph." The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants, look. She said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story, that Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did.
1: Good morning. That's not the middle. Uh, My name's Dan, I'm one of the elders here at Southside, and uh, I'm going to continue our series going through the life of Joseph, through the story of Genesis. Uh, How about we pray together before I start doing that? Uh, Gracious God, we do thank you for your word, for how it uh, spurns us on to live faithful lives following your son. Lord, we do pray that this morning you would open our minds to understand what you have to say to us, that you would open our hearts to... Uh, desire only after you and your goodness, and you would ready our hands to live out um, faithful lives, honouring you and thankful to Jesus. In his mighty name we pray. Amen. Where is God when life is unfair? What are the moments in your life where lo- life is unfair? I'm an oldest sibling, so for me growing up... Uh, when life was unfair, when my younger brother got to do things that I was doing, even though I was older, it would take a form, something like, oh, why is he allowed to stay up and watch Star Wars when I couldn't do that when I was his age? Or why am, uh, you know, why is he able to go out and do things when I couldn't do that when, he, uh, when I was that young? From what I can understand, that also happens to younger siblings as well. Right. Why are they able to do whatever they want? Why can my older sibling go and have, go out and have fun while I have to be stuck here with parents or doing things I don't want to do? Maybe it was at school. Maybe uh, you got in trouble from your teacher for talking when you were actually telling another student to stop talking themselves. Maybe it was when you put in all the effort on your group assignment and none of your friends did and they all got the same mark as you did. Or maybe it's at work. Maybe you're the one who got blamed for somebody else's mistake. Maybe you're the one who got passed over for a promotion because of the politics involved and you weren't the person they needed to make happy. Whatever it was, whatever it may be, I'm sure we all have moments when we feel like life is unfair. And where is God? What is the point? What do we do when life is unfair? Now, I'm a high school teacher, so unfair life, in fact, my worst nightmare of an unfair life, looks something like this. Crazy parents. Thankfully, I haven't had to deal with too many crazy parents at school, and none of them are here, which is awesome too. But this is a news article that came up at the start of the week about a principal telling parents of a of uh, students at a I think it was $30,000 a year private school in Sydney that they all need to calm down. Uh, he said it got to a point where the culture of gracious engagement between parents and teachers had been steadily declining and admitted as ne- if necessary, he would tell staff to stop answering phones and emails because of the verbal, physical abuse and threats that parents would um, make against teachers. The principal says... Uh, I am aware some parents, because they are paying fees, see the relationship with teachers as a master-servant relationship. Not fun. Please don't ever think that way. (laughs) And as such, they are entitled to make extravagant demands. For me, that's one of the things I fear the most, and when things at my work tend to be unfair. What is it for you? What is it for you? So in the story of Joseph, we're actually going to learn three lessons about what we can do as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and at points in life when things are unfair. Three lessons from Joseph, from this story, in, uh, when he gets to Potiphar's house, from uh, his time in prison, we're going to see some examples of how we can live, how we can react when we are faced with unfairness. So in case you weren't here last week, the story so far is that Joseph is, well, Joseph had 10 older brothers. I imagine a great family dynamic there too. But Joseph was the favorite. Joseph was the favorite of his dad, was treated nicely, was given all the nice things, and his 10 older brothers had enough. His older brothers said, originally they planned on killing him, eventually they settled on selling him into slavery. Okay. So Joseph was going to be sold into slavery um, and he was put on a train with some slaves, with some slave traders, and they went down to Egypt. Now, and that's where we pick up our story this morning. Okay? So put yourself in Joseph's shoes at this point. Your older brothers have graciously decided not to kill you and have settled for selling you into slavery. Right? These aren't just people he works with, this is family. What would you be thinking? If it was me, I'd be thinking, well, this is so unfair, what am, what am I going to do? I'm not going to do what anybody says. Why do I have to listen to what other people say? I'm going to stop, I'm going to whinge, I'm going to complain, and that's what I'm going to do because this, is life. Uh, this life is so unfair and this is not the way things should be. But that's not what Joseph does. So when Joseph goes to Potiphar's house, he works hard. He's faithful. He doesn't complain. He doesn't whinge. He works hard. And he works so hard that he becomes chief slave. I guess that's a good thing. Chief slave, responsible for all the other slaves, responsible for the running of the house. Rather than complain, whinge, Joseph works hard. He works so hard that his master, Potiphar, promotes him. He works so hard that his master's wife notices him as well. Now, again, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. What would you be thinking? Finally, things are turning out great. Look at all this responsibility that I have. Look at um, all these people that I can tell what to do and uh, what I can do for my master. And now his wife likes me. Maybe he would want to take advantage of that. Maybe he thinks, look at all this authority I have. I've earned this. I've earned to do whatever I want, even if that involves uh, my master's wife. That's not what he does at all. That is not what Joseph does at all. He continues to live faithfully. You notice what he says in those verses. He says my master has entrusted me with everything. The house, the slaves, there is nothing in this house that Joseph does not have responsibility for except for his master's wife. See, Joseph might have thought, you know, I could send all the slaves to the other side of the house, I could make sure there's no work going on around here and my master's wife and I can go and do whatever we want. But Joseph actually uses that responsibility to do the opposite. He says, my master trusts me that much, I'm not going to abuse that trust. I'm not going to do what I know is wrong just because I have the power to do so. No, he continues to live faithfully. Not once, not twice, multiple times, just saying to his master's wife, no, 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 continuing to live faithfully. Now, if you were here last week, this might ring some bells from a story we heard last week. Okay? So last week we heard uh, not just the story of how Joseph was sold into slavery, but there was this random chapter in between where we finished that story and where we start this one, a story about his, one of his older brothers, Judah. Lots of wonderful family details in there too. In summary, if you weren't here last week, Judah had two kids, twins, with his daughter-in-law. Not great. But the reason that chapter is in there and the way that we've got this chapter as well, I think what we're being asked to do is compare these two brothers. Look at Joseph, who's in slavery. Life is terribly unfair. Not of his own doing. Right? His brothers sold him off. He's in slavery, can make no choices on his own, and yet he chooses to remain faithful to his God um, and to what uh, his God would want him to do and live. Judah, on the other hand, one of the brothers who sold him into slavery, had all the freedom. He got to marry who he wanted. He raised his own family, but he could not remain faithful. He could not uh, stay faithful to God when he was the one faced with temptation either. So what does that tell us? What do we learn from that situation? Well, I think what we're supposed to learn here is that regardless of if we're free or if uh, life is unfair and we're in slavery, servitude, our situation does not determine whether or not we can live faithfully or not. We can be in slavery, in servitude, and be faithful. We could also uh, be free and not faithful. Right? Our situations, our life circumstance does not determine or should not determine whether we choose to live faithfully or not. And that is one of the first lessons we learn from this story. Okay? Life being unfair, for, like for Joseph it doesn't give us an excuse to do whatever we want. It does not give us an excuse to be unfaithful. Judah abused his freedom rather than be faithful. Joseph, in spite of his slavery, in spite of life being unfair, could still choose to follow his God and live faithfully. So that's our first lesson. Life being unfair does not give us an excuse for living unfaithfully. Now, Moving on to a second lesson that we see, it wasn't all bad for Joseph. right? As we read uh, at the start of that story, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of, as he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And not only that, okay, but as Joseph prospered, okay, so did the whole household. Okay? So from the time that Joseph was in the, that house Everything he did for Potiphar, for his slaves, everything was going really well. He was still in slavery, but generally things were actually going pretty well. Even when he got accused of adultery with his master's wife, he got sent to prison. Things got well. Eventually, again, not by his own doing, Joseph got sent to prison. But again, once he's there, it's not all terrible either. So we see when the master heard the story of his wife saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden was able to pay no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now again, what would you be thinking if you were in Joseph's shoes? Yeah, things were good with Potiphar. Not so good with his wife. Gets put in prison... Surely you'd be thinking, shouldn't things be getting better? If I'm doing the right thing, I'm honouring God, I'm living faithfully, things do get a little bit better, but I'm still in prison. Surely things are going to work out soon. Ultimately, it's actually over two years before Joseph leaves prison. At least two years. Probably a bit longer. But what would you be thinking? Okay. What would you be thinking? Why isn't this working? Why am I still in prison? Why are things still unfair? So while Joseph's in prison, okay, he actually meets two of the king's servants, a cupbearer and a baker. Okay. These two men, while they're in prison, have dreams and come to Joseph the guy in charge of their little soul block, and say, Joseph, what's, what's going on? What do these dreams mean? To one of them, to the cupbearer, Joseph says, good news. You're going to be released from prison. You're going to go back to uh, the pharaoh. He's going to restore you to your right position, and you're going to be well-honoured in that position. The baker, on hearing that interpretation, is probably thinking, excellent. Same thing's going to happen to me. The baker tells uh, Joseph his dream. I imagine at this point, Joseph goes a bit quiet and says, actually, no, Baker, your your dream means you are not going to leave prison. And in fact, he is going to be killed as a result. And as you read through chapter 40, that's exactly what happens. Joseph hears these dreams, And he is able to explain them well to the cupbearer who's able to survive and go back to the pharaoh and the baker who dies. And he tells the cupbearer, when you get out, go and tell pharaoh about me. Go and tell pharaoh that uh, I'm not here for my own wrongdoings. I've been framed. I've been put here because somebody didn't like me. Go and tell pharaoh about my story. Cupbearer forgets. Has a moment, he's so excited to be out of prison that he doesn't tell Pharaoh what happened at all and forgets for another two years until um, the Pharaoh has a dream that Joseph needs to interpret later. Poor Joseph, right? All through his life, from when he was sold into slavery through to being in prison, things have not been working out right for him but he's continued to live faithfully, he's continued to honour his God, he's continued to do the right things, and yeah, there's some moments in there where things seem to be going well, but then he ends up in prison, or then he ends up being forgotten about for two years. Right? We would be feeling that things are terribly unfair, wouldn't we? We'll be thinking, well, why bother live faithfully? And this is where we need to be careful of thinking that living faithfully is actually a means to an end. It's, living faithfully is actually a means of us getting something. We need to be careful that we don't think that living faithfully to God, honouring him and following him gives us an excuse to get whatever we want. Whether it's temporal things here on earth, or whether it's freedom from whatever unfairness or injustice we're facing, Living faithfully does not necessarily mean we get what we want or even what we deserve. God is not some supermarket where we go and pay the coins of faithfulness and get something out of it as a result. God does not quite work that way. And so that's our second lesson from this story, thinking about our own thoughts and our own feelings about how Joseph's life is going. Faithful living may not mean life will turn out right and fair. But what it does mean is that God is with us. Did you notice that in the story? That at the start of the story, when Joseph first got into Potiphar's house, God was with him. Did you notice that when Joseph was sent to prison, our text said God was with him. So even though it didn't make his situation better, God did acknowledge Joseph's faithfulness. So while his situation may have not really gotten better, in fact, in some cases gotten worse, God was still with Joseph because of his faithfulness. And we need to be careful that we don't think we can get what we want because we are faithful either. But we should be pleased that in our faithfulness, God is with us and God will help us in whatever circumstances we face. (coughs) But then that also leaves another question, Well, what's the point of living faithfully? Sure, it's good that God's still with us. It's good that God's there helping me get through this situation, this circumstance. But in the grand scheme of things, what is the point of living faithfully when life is unfair and when uh, unjust things are being done to me and the people around me, see, for Joseph, right? When at the start of our story last week, we heard that Joseph was given, had some dreams, had some visions where he saw his twelve brothers, his mother, and father bowing down in front of him. Maybe for Joseph, he thought if he lived faithfully, he would actually see what those dreams were pointing to. Maybe, who knows? But what about us? We don't have dreams quite like that. Something to look forward to quite like that. But we do have something to look forward to much greater, much more certain than those visions that Joseph had. We get to look forward to something that was one for us. In the life of Jesus, he felt those same levels, those same standards of unfair unfairness caused by others, of injustice caused by others, as we face and as Joseph faced. Just as Jesus was um, getting into Jerusalem and when he was betrayed by his disciples, he felt every bit of unfairness and injustice that we felt and what Joseph felt. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, decided that 30 pieces of silver was more important than spending his life with Jesus. So he sold him. He sold Jesus and betrayed Jesus for some money. The religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus because he was a threat to their power structure and a threat to their viability and their leadership and authority. So they killed him because of their lust and want for power. Pontius Pilate... Uh, Let Jesus be killed because he didn't want to upset the people of his region and make them unhappy. Jesus suffered unfairness and injustice at the hands of all those people. If you want to go even further and talk about unfairness, the reason Jesus went through all of that is because of my sin, our sin, the world's sin. That's how unfair this was. And yet Jesus himself still remained faithful. He remained faithful even though he was being treated so unfairly and with so much injustice. But he kept being faithful, living for God. And it didn't lead him away from suffering. It led him to the cross. It led him to a moment of immense suffering. Okay. So even then, Jesus, the innocent, perfect son of God, by living faithfully couldn't escape unfairness and injustice either by his own faithful life. But it also didn't end there either. Jesus' faithfulness did lead somewhere better. Jesus' faithfulness led to a time three days after he was crucified that he was able to come back from the dead and live a life standing right in front of us, showing that death was not the end showing that all these pieces of injustice, this unfairness against him, wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't the ultimate story. The ultimate story was that he, by his faithfulness, can forgive sins, and he can make um, injustice and unfairness cease. His resurrection proves that this life, in all its circumstances, in all its unfairness, in all its injustices, is not necessarily the end. There is something that comes later. There can be life that comes later. All through Jesus, through his resurrection, through his life, death and resurrection, there can be an end to injustice. There will be an end to injustice when he returns, when he brings us all, uh, those who have faith in him, into heaven forgiven, perfect in his sight, there will be a time when injustice and unfairness ends. It may not be here where we get our respite, where we get our freedom from that unfairness, but it will come. It will come because of this man, Jesus, and because of his resurrection from the dead. And so that's, our third lesson from this passage, that while faithful living may not make things better now, it might, but not necessarily. Faithful living, following God, honouring our Lord Jesus as King and Saviour over our lives, that will lead us to a place where one day suffering, injustice, unfairness will cease. One day, we will be taken to a place where suffering, injustice, and unfairness will cease all because of Jesus and his death and resurrection for us. So what does that mean for how we live now? How do we face the unfairness, the injustice that we know each day? And the answer is to continue living faithfully. When things are unjust, when things are unfair, it doesn't give us an excuse to go and do whatever we want. It doesn't give us an excuse to uh, be uh, bad to other people because they were bad to us first. No. A passage like uh, the example of Joseph, the example of Jesus himself, shows us actually no, even in the face of uncertainty, of unfairness, we continue to live faithfully trusting in Jesus. So if we get part of that promotion, that means we keep working hard. When we um, get blamed for somebody else's mistake, we continue to work hard and faithfully as if working for the Lord. Whatever it might be for you, in whatever circumstance or part of life where life is unfair, where people are treating you in a way that is not just and not right, the answer is to keep following Jesus. Keep looking forward to the day, not when things are going to be made right here and now, but keep looking forward to the day when he returns, when all of that will go away. Keep working hard, keep working faithfully, just as God would have us. I want to finish with one verse, just to uh, tie it all together and to give us some Um, Yeah, a final piece of application there from Hebrews chapter 12. And I'll finish with this one. Hebrews chapter 12, starting partway through verse one. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How would I pray that we do that? Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for your son, that even though he was perfectly innocent, even though he did not have to, he died on the cross. We forgive our sins. And he has given us hope of a life beyond this one, one where injustice, unfairness will be taken away. Gracious God, in the meantime, please be with us as we live faithfully uh, following you in whatever circumstances we face um, so that your name would be honoured and that the name of Jesus would be made great. In In his precious name, we pray all these things. Amen.